Welcome to Sitcom Geeks. I'm Dave Cohen. And I'm James Carey. And this is episode 159, um, which we just talked about just beforehand. And uh, we can tell you officially there is nothing funny about the number 159. Um but it is, uh, we are very pleased because we've got a, a special guest, a great guest, a star, uh, actually great um, TV star. A couple of years ago, he won Britain's Got Talent uh, Award. And um, his new, well, his, it's actually the third series of his radio show, uh, Ability, is about to start uh, on Radio 4. That's coming up. And as well as that, his uh, book is coming out very soon. So we're very delighted to have with us Lee Ridley, a.k.a. Lost Voice Guy. Hello. Thanks very much for inviting me on. Well, it's uh, a pleasure to have you, really. And um, we'd like to talk to... We, we, we actually, we're, we're aware that you are a fan of the show, but we're also uh, big fans of your show, uh, Ability. Uh, that's been going now for about sort of... Uh, three series. This is the third series, I think. And um, we were wanting to ask you, first of all, uh, who were your sort of biggest influences when you were starting out or, or even before you were starting out, when you were, uh, you know, when you were a kid sitting at home by the fire or the central heating? I did watch a lot of comedy when I was growing up. I think I was probably about 13 years old when I first started watching it properly. Some of my favorite memories are of watching the likes of Jack D and Lee Evans on TV as a kid and laughing my head off. The two are very different comedians. Lee is loud and energetic and Jack is laid back and deadpan, but I like both of them because they're each bringing something very distinctive to the stage. Lee Evans is a master of using his body language to enhance his act. When I used to watch him, it wasn't just the jokes that made me roll around the floor laughing, it was his facial expressions, and that he used to run around the stage at 100 miles per hour. He was a comedy whirlwind. Years later, his style was to influence me a lot when I started my stand-up career. He made me realize that comedy isn't just about words, it's about having a big stage presence too. For example, the voice on my iPad is very monotone. So it's really hard to sound excited or sad or whatever. So I've got used to using my body language and facial expressions to help convey my mood as well. And I think that subconsciously, I probably learned to do that from watching the likes of Lee Evans when I was growing up. Another great influence on my career is Ross Noble. I just love how quick-witted and random he can be. And he has been a massive help to me. Not only did he invite me to warm up for him at one of his Newcastle gigs, he has also been very helpful with advice and things like that. So I owe him a lot, both as a fan and as a performer. In fact, one of my very first comedy experiences involved him. I went to see his show at the City Hall in Newcastle. During this particular gig, he did a very funny bit all about Stephen Hawking, which included doing an impression of the way he speaks. 
The whole thing was hilarious, and I wanted to tell him how much I'd enjoyed it. After the show, I was waiting for him at the stage door, trying to type something out to say. Suddenly, I saw him come out of the stage door before I was ready. Panic set in as I wondered what was I was going to say. He walked right up to me and said hello. In that moment, I typed in, Do you want to see who can do the best Stephen Hawking impression? And pressed the speak button. Thankfully he saw the funny side and roared with laughter and I felt so great. I had made one of my comedy idols laugh. If I could do that with such a good comedian such as Ross, surely I could make other people laugh too. So I started to think about becoming a stand-up comedian myself. Okay. Um, Ross Noble is just, I just love the fact, I can imagine there was a brief look of panic on Ross's <laughs> face first before he laughed. Um, but he really is, he, and he's just so funny. I think he's one of the funniest people in Britain. And I remember seeing him when he was kind of starting out fairly young. And I went to see him three times in a row at the Gilded Balloon at the festival, Edinburgh Festival. And it was three different shows. He really was making it up. And he only did some of his act so that he'd actually have an ending so he could get off the stage. Uh, I remember just thinking what a talent uh, Ross Noble was. Afterwards, he told me he shit himself when I said it. <laughs> I bet he did. Yeah. I think I, 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 I read that um, story in your book and he said, I think he, he, he said, he laughed a lot. Part of the, the laughing as well, he said he was just, he was so relieved because he was just so, so nervous of you coming up to him and, you know, giving him a hard time possibly about it. So, which was great. But I, I was interested because um, I, I watched a lot of your, your clips from uh, Britain's Got Talent and it, it was only after I read the book and I thought, Yes, of course. This is this is Lee Evans on stage, but this um, this voice is uh, is sort of Jack D, isn't it? There there is a kind of deadpan to and and um, I I understand that he's called Graham or Graham UK. Is that correct? Yes, that's the name of the voice. Um, because uh, and um. We'll come and talk about your. We'll talk about your early stand-up gigs uh, in a moment. But I was wondering, um, and just just thinking about um, how much um, AI has sort of changed in the last, even in the last kind of year, um, there must be a phenomenal range of, of voices. Are you are you happy to stay with Graham, or have you considered uh, other voices to use? I've thought about getting a Geordie accent. But I'm not sure about it. This is my voice now and everyone recognises it, so it might be weird if I changed it. Okay. I think that's probably right. But that said, you've got to love the Geordie accent. And it's actually the hard... If you're going to pick one, do Geordie, because it's one of the hardest ones to do if you're not actually from there. So uh, if you felt like a change, maybe that's the one to go for. Anyway, Dave, you had a question. Yeah, well, I was... Uh, um... I was going to say. I mean, we'll we'll talk about about that because you have uh, we we have the Geordie voice, of course, in in uh, ability. Uh, but um, 
just, just uh, knowing that you are, uh, as well as being a big fan of, of uh, stand-up, uh, you're also a big fan of, of sitcom. And um, again, sort of, I, I guess, round about that age or maybe a little bit later, what's, uh, what were your favourite uh, sitcoms? I watched a lot of comedy on television when I was growing up. Everything from bottom to spitting image to Father Ted, and loads of other stuff in between. But my absolute favourite show has always been The League of Gentlemen. I still think it's a masterpiece of comedy, and definitely helps explain my twisted sense of humour. Of course, I can't mention The League of Gentlemen without mentioning Inside Number 9, as with anything involving these guys, the writing is out of this world, and some of the storylines are very clever. One episode stands out in my mind. Zanzibar is set in a London hotel, where some strangely farcical games on are in store for a group of unwitting guests. What makes it impressive is that it's their own twist on Shakespearean comedy and the episode is written entirely in iambic pentameter, the clever sods. I honestly have no clue how they come up with such great ideas. And don't get me started on how emotional I get every time I watch the episode called, The Twelve Days of Christina. Another show that I used to watch religiously was Bottom. This is probably one of the first comedy shows I ever watched and I loved it. It was pretty rude for a 14-year-old boy, but it was also made great by the performances of Rick Mayle and a dead mom son, who suggested to me what life might be like when I finally left home and found myself some flatmates. Their mix of knobby gags and slapstick humour, the chaos of it, was exactly what I needed when I was a teenager living in quite a steady way, and I made sure I never missed an episode. More recently, I've really enjoyed Dairy Girls. I just think it's so well written, and I loved all the 80s references in it. Yeah. Um... Okay. Uh, great, we've not had Bottom mentioned much before, yeah. so I'm really pleased you gave a shout out for that. My Full disclosure, my wife is a little bit obsessed with the show, and she's also slightly in love with um, uh, with Rick Mayle, um, and she's allowed to admit that, and that's fine. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, but we do occasionally quote it to each other, and our kids are too young to watch it, and eventually they're going to watch it and just realise quite how much of that show we've seen, and I think they're going to be very disappointed in their so-called Christian parents. Uh, have watched such a <laughs> such an awful, uh, rude, silly uh, show. I really enjoyed their tour shows as well. Yeah, yeah, no, they were really good. I've never, I've never quite got into them. I need to go and find them and get into them because it's like extra, extra episodes. Yeah. But anyway, go on, Dave. I, I was going to say that uh, that um, League of Gentlemen, uh, but I mean Bottom, which is also really kind of quite. Um, like sort of Samuel Beckett, really, in that kind of uh, the, the 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 characters uh, they're playing. They're, 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 there's a sort of bleakness 
um, to both of those shows. I think that's interesting. That that um, and 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 yes, uh, uh, bottom my, my equivalent of bottom. James will enjoy uh, me saying this because I was about seven or eight years old when I first started watching Steptoe and Son. There it uh, is, everyone. <laughs> there it is. It's finally come out. Yeah. Um, but, uh, that the, the the point about Steptoe. I mean, for all for a, again a very bleak show, but. You know, I just loved it when I was seven or eight years old because there was this bloke going in the corner and, and his son going, oh, you dirty old man. And, and, and it was, you know, it was only when I kind of got much older and watched it again in my teens and saw, blimey, this, is, this isn't the show I was watching. This is a, you know, this is a kind of an incredibly bleak um, yeah. story of, of, you know, of humanity. And I wonder, is there, what, is there something about that kind of, um, uh, that side of it that, that um, appeals to your humour? Yes, I think so. I've met them briefly, but I doubt they remember. It was when I was much younger, at a DVD signing in a shop. Once I'd had my stuff signed, I waited around the shop for another two hours, like a proper fanboy, just so I could meet them properly, when they were finished. In fact, that's probably why they've stayed clear of me ever <laughs> since. On the bright side, I did get to nick the massive poster from the shop, which was promoting their appearance. There's many reasons why I like the League of Gentlemen so much. I think I liked the fact that they were making jokes out of stuff that was a bit weird and left field. That was probably my introduction to the darker side of comedy. I didn't know it existed up until that point. So they opened my eyes to a whole new world. For the first time I got the impression that anything could be joked about if handled in the right way and I loved it. I think League of Gentlemen was a really significant show and I don't quite think they get the full credit. I think the first series of League of Gentlemen is one of the funniest things the BBC have ever broadcast. It's so, so perfect. Um, but the, the, the legacy of that, again, just for sitcom writers listening to this, you know, people who want to write sitcoms, quite often... You see something and then you want to write something that's like it. And people remember League of Gentlemen as being a lot darker than it actually was. And there are a lot of very, very silly jokes in it as well. Um, and one of my favourite jokes of all time is thrown away in the opening title sequence, which is the Russian Doll Company joke, where you've got a huge lorry driving into Royston Vasey. And it parks up and a van drives out the back. It parks up and a little quad bike drives out the back. And then somebody takes a box off it and, and, and then walks off. And that's the end of the opening title. You just think, I don't know how you just threw that away. Most people are just still making the tea. Uh, so they just kind of tucked lovely jokes away into all the corners. So it was a really inspiring show for me, even though the macabre stuff isn't particularly to my taste. But I guess that would have been an influence for you trying to write Right, like your heroes, I guess, isn't it? Yes. I think it spoke to my twisted sense of humour. I think it was always there. They probably just brought it out of me. Excellent. Yeah, I think that's... Um, yeah, I, again, without wishing to 
bring it all back to me. Uh, but I, I remember having that experience um, watching the producers for the first time when I was about 15. And always, ne- never having, uh, ha- having grown up Jewish and having thought, oh, there are certain things that you're not supposed to joke about when you're Jewish. Uh, certainly Nazis is one. And then seeing the producers and that just really kind of totally changed my life I think and that that was a point at which I thought ah yes this this is what I want to do for the rest of my life but I I, I'm I'm curious because um so you you've got this interest in uh uh tv stuff on tv uh Jack D Lee Evans uh League of Gentlemen that's that's a, a bottom so sort of that's quite a range um, and, but then, and then you decide to become a stand-up, a stand-up comedian. So, um, what? Um, how? How did you become a stand-up? I never thought I'd ever be a comedian myself. I just thought it wasn't possible because I couldn't speak. So I didn't really give it much thought when I was growing up. My career in stand-up comedy came about because my mate called Nathan Wood, thought it would work well. Of course, I thought he was crazy, but the idea stuck in the back of my head. Eventually, a few months later, I decided to give it a try, because I knew I'd regret it if I didn't. It turns out my mate was right. It's just grown from there really. My first gig was in Sunderland, which was an experience in itself. To be honest, I was very nervous beforehand, because I just didn't know how it would go. I was worried that people wouldn't be able to understand me, and that I'd just be standing there telling jokes to myself. But, once my first few jokes were out of the way, I began to relax and enjoy myself a bit more. It just felt so great to be standing up on that stage and having people laugh at stuff that I'd written myself. By the time I walked off stage, I didn't want it to end at all. I was on a massive high for the rest of that night. In fact, I didn't get any sleep that night because I was still so excited about what had just happened. In that moment, I knew that I wanted to be a stand-up comedian, and I couldn't wait to get up on that stage again. I think the first time that I seriously considered stand-up comedy as a full-time job was when I won the BBC New Comedy Award back in 2014. I believe winning that was a confidence boost that I needed to convince myself that this wasn't all just a massively time-consuming hobby. I just entered the competition because I thought it was a good opportunity to help me develop as a comedian. I'm not really a big fan of stand-up comedy competitions, but when you look at the people who have won it in the past, I thought it was worth entering. I especially like the fact that the comedians were judged by other people in the industry, as well as the general public in the final. I think it gives it a nice balance. I definitely never expected to win the whole thing. I just thought I would give it a go and see how far I got. I couldn't really believe it when I won. 
It was a very special moment. That's um, uh, that's a great story, but uh, I mean, I'm I, just speaking from thinking about my own experience um, of stand up and touring, and you know, kind of hours, hours and hours of kind of doing nothing to wait to go on stage and do your twenty minutes. And uh, I mean, it's it, it's quite, um, especially when you're doing a lot of gigs, it is it, quite a kind of punishing. Uh, sort of phys- physical experience and I was just wondering um, I guess when you were first doing gigs really how did that um, you know how, what what for example uh, for, for you to go and do a gig say compared to somebody who uh, a, a, an able-bodied person what would that be uh, what would be the differences yes it's a very tough lifestyle but I think it's worth it I think it helps that I need a support worker to come with me and help me with stuff. So that meant that I was never alone. But the main difference was trying to get my iPad to pronounce things correctly and not ruin the joke. Yes, I can imagine that would be very frustrating. Uh, but yeah, but then, but in some senses, the, the universals are there, which is that, you know, you said you were nervous before going on the first time and probably the first few times. And I guess everyone, everyone gets that. I can, I'm picturing Dave now pacing around backstage uh, and sort of talking to himself and all that kind of stuff. What, what interested me reading the book was um, when you talk about your experiences as a stand-up. And um, it, it starts, people who end up as stand-ups usually are uh, people who, haven't, who have never really felt that they belonged uh, in, in other places. And I, and I, and I felt um, that, that that's what, what really kind of ran out for me with reading about it was your sense of being a, a stand-up, that, that kind of being in that community of stand-ups. Uh, it's something that all stand-ups get when they're together. Is like, oh, no, no one else kind of gets us really. Um, and I, I, I got a very strong sense of that. How you were kind of immediately became a part of that uh, that scene. I think that's very true. I think we're all messed up. If I'm honest, I was I was listening to um, was it Seinfeld talking about it? It may have been. I can't remember who he was talking to. It may be the Tim Ferriss interview. I can't remember. But he was saying that the sort of people that are gravitated toward, who gravitate towards stand-up and therefore the things that you can do, the things that you end up doing, given that you get no structure for almost the whole of your day, it's just the worst possible, most toxic mix imaginable for almost everybody who actually takes part in it. Because <laughs> the sort of people that know how to cope with that kind of total freedom... Um, are exactly the kind of people who don't go into stand-up comedy. So it is a really, really r- weird world. It'd be really interesting to know, though, that writing for stand-up and writing for radio and writing situation comedy, they kind of feel the same, but they're actually very different. I'd be really interested to know about how, how you found the differences and, and what you found the differences to be. Writing for radio is much different to writing a stand-up set, but in a good way. For a start, it meant that I could bounce the characters off each other. When I'm on stage, I can't really doing that because it's just me talking directly to the audience. 
The magic of radio also meant that I was able to put the characters into any situation that I could think of because I didn't have to worry about the visual element. I really enjoyed having that freedom to allow my imagination to run wild. It felt great to be back working again. Obviously, because of the pandemic, we had to record this series from our own homes, which was very strange. It's just not as fun when you're not in the same studio as everyone else. And, because all of the cast get on really well, I miss chatting to them over lunch and things. But it was still nice to see them through a screen. On a positive note, at least I didn't have to get dressed. But I think I still prefer the instant reaction that you get by doing stand-up, overwriting a sitcom. I think lockdown has made me realize how much I miss performing as well. My creativity has really suffered during lockdown, to be honest. It's pretty hard to get inspired when you're stuck inside all day. That's why I enjoyed recording Series 3 of Ability. It gave me my creative spark back, and I loved having fun with it again. Hopefully that'll spur me on to be more creative this year. I'm dying to get out there and perform again. I enjoy writing and all the other stuff, but nothing beats the buzz of being on stage making people laugh. Yeah. I was just saying about the camaraderie there. I, I know exactly what you mean. And those those get togethers for radio, because it's not a very stressful. It's not quite as stressful as television. And the, so in a way, it's more relaxed. But the downside is that it's not very it's very short lived. So if you're recording, especially in front of an audience, you've only really got the afternoon and the evening. You've, got, you've kind of got to get through the scripts. And with TV, you're kind of there's not more waiting around and hanging out. Uh, which is great fun. But yeah, it's kind of the worst of both worlds, recording radio in a lockdown. I mean, that's sort of proper yeah. silver-plated bummer, isn't it, all, all round? But did, presumably you wrote the, uh, the last series then during the lockdown. Yes, we thought we might as well as I didn't have anything else to do. But in hindsight, it's lucky we started when we did. Yeah, definitely. You yeah. should have done what uh, Dave and I were doing uh, and every other writer in the country and start writing a novel. Uh, but uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I started one and then didn't get around to finishing it. And I'm trying to finish it now. And Dave, Dave wrote one. But uh, I'm just a bit conscious that, that an awful lot of novels are going to be arriving in inboxes and desks of an awful lot of agents and, uh, and publishers. Uh, but there we go. Anyway, Dave, go on. Yeah, so um, I, now the... the um, could, could you just tell us, first of all, a little bit about how um, you, you got, uh, as I say, we're up to we're up to series three now of um, ability. And uh, in fact, I, I had a I had a question, but in fact, I read an interview subsequently um, about um, what, what's going to happen. So that's kind of slightly changed it, uh, changed it. But could you tell us a little bit about the, ra the radio show, uh, what it's about? For those of you who haven't heard it before, Ability is a sitcom about a disabled bloke who can't speak, who sometimes uses his disability to his advantage, and can be a bit of a dick at times. So obviously it's purely fictional. 
I'm very lucky to be able to work with a great writing team on ability. Both Daniel Audrey and Cat Butterfield have been very fun to write with. And they've really helped make ability as good as it is. Anyway, Matt shares a flat with his best mate Jess, who he also fancies, and he has a very dodgy carer, called Bob. Together they get up to quite a lot of mischief. In past episodes, they have decided to become drug dealers just to see if they could get away with it. And set up a robot sex line to make a bit of money from lonely old men. You can expect more of this sort of thing in the third series too. Matt finally gets a girlfriend in this series, which is nice for him. I think that Matt has become a lot more independent since we met him in the first series, and I think it's been nice for the listener to go on that journey with him. However much his mum and dad still treat him as their little boy, I think Matt has always wanted to be independent as possible, and this is very evident in this series. He gets both a job and a girlfriend in series 3, so things are looking up for him. And that's the benefit of writing a third series. I feel very lucky to have been given three series, because it's allowed us to tell the story of Matt, Bob, and Jess, as we would like to tell it. Obviously, in the first series, the listener was just getting introduced to the characters, so it's been nice to have the opportunity to build on that in series two and three. Even when we started writing the first series, we knew that Matt had a good story to tell, and that it would probably take more than four episodes to tell it. So I feel that the listeners know Matt, Bob, and Jess a lot more now, because they've been on a journey through their lives with them. Having multiple series has also meant that we've been able to explore some very important issues surrounding disabled people. Although we do it in a light-hearted way, I've always thought it has helped highlight such issues. That, that unique angle, I think, is so important now um, more than ever. And I think that's probably one of the big besetting sins of scripts that I do read, is that they're not really about anything. And although you don't want every, everything to be about a particular uh, issue... It just needs to come from a particular place um, or it needs to be, you know, what, why, you know, as we often say on this podcast, why this and why now and why you? And I guess obviously your show really does uh, does exemplify that. But I think everyone's just got to got to figure out what what's going to work for them in terms of telling their story, um, you know, which I think is a really big lesson uh, to learn here. Uh, yeah, I think I, I, I was going to add because I remember the uh, episode with um, the, the, the the drug the drug dealing, and um, it's quite and, and 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 again thinking about it now from what you've just been saying about uh, your love of uh, League of Gentlemen. Um, there's definitely it's a kind of. Uh, it, it 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 is a kind of way of saying, hang on, you know, this is this is comedy, this is dark comedy, and that that's actually it. The it, the, the the comedy aspect is is the most important thing, and I think also because I want uh, uh, we, we'll we'll talk about your book which is coming out uh, as paperback uh, soon, but 
I think the, for, for many people, the first thing that they know about you is they see a picture of you uh, wearing that shirt that says, uh, I'm, I'm only in it for the free parking. And uh, that's just such a... It, it's just a great statement. It's just a great mm. comic statement, yeah. regardless of anything else. Uh, and that's what I, I love about Ability. It was definitely toned down from the first draft because it was Radio 4. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, I can I can imagine. But it does just say, you know, you made the most of, of, of this um, situation that you're in. <clears throat> and I guess, I mean, the, the thing that I often say is writing is so hard. Getting your script noticed is so hard. For goodness sake, make sure you cheat and just use whatever, you know, whatever story you have to tell and be really transgressive about it and say stuff that's really surprising. Um, so I just think everyone listening just thinks, well, what, how can I cheat? You know, how can I make my script completely compelling and telling fresh stories in a fresh way rather than just, you know, it, which is hard enough, assembling characters and making them say funny things and do funny things. I think now more than ever, you do need a show that is greater than the sum total of the parts. Uh, so I think that's, a, you know, that's what I'm... I'm really inspired by that um, to make sure that I, I make the most of that too. Yeah. Um, I, I was going to ask actually, because you talked a little bit about what happens um, when you go on tour and, and having a, a, a carer with you. And, and I just wondered if there were any other sort of barriers, um, not just physical, but, but mental barriers as well to uh, kind of getting into comedy in the first place. That's a good question because I've never really thought about it. It's almost as if it's all happened by accident. To be honest, I've always felt really supported by the comedy industry actually. Ever since I first started out. And I think that's why I have so much love for the comedy circuit. It can be a real family at times. As well as Ross Noble, I also had great support from Gary Delaney. Steve Day and promoters such as Rob Riley in the Northwest. And, of course, everyone at the Stand Comedy Club in Newcastle has always been behind me from day one. Which is why it's my second home. My family have obviously had a massive impact on my career as well. I doubt I'd have done, as much as I have, without them. I'm lucky that I have such a close family who are always willing to lend a hand when I need it. I would like to think that they have brought me up well. My friends are a very important part of my life too. Once again, I wouldn't be where I am today without their support. I have always listened to them and respected them and that has helped me get through a lot. My English teacher at school has also been a big influence on me. He knew I had the potential to do whatever I wanted to do and he always believed in me. He was always pushing me to do the best that I could. I will always be grateful for that. It is nice to have someone like that to help you achieve your goals. The faith that he showed in me went a long way. And it still helps today. Oh, that's that's um, that's really amazing to hear that actually, Lee. And and the the, the book, I, I I I love the book as well. I wanted to, it, it sort of it goes up to 
more or less up to the point uh, where you've won, where you win uh, Britain's Got Talent and a little beyond. And I wondered if, um, how, it's, it's been a couple of years now, is it three, two or three years since you won? And um, I wondered if much, um, if you've noticed much that had changed since, since then. Becoming famous has made me a lot richer for a start. But please don't tell the Department of Work and Pensions. <laughs> Seriously though, one of the best things to happen since I won is that people are engaging with me a lot more than they would have in the past. For the first time, they seem comfortable talking to a disabled person. I'm used to being stared at for negative reasons, so it's nice to be stared at for positive reasons for a change. It's just a shame that I had to win a talent show to get to this point. For most disabled people, this isn't an option. Yeah, no, that that's uh, that's that's very true, and uh, I think that's 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 a that's a brilliant uh, thing that um. A, a, a brilliant result of that and but hopefully as well it might have helped to change uh some attitudes maybe you know when when people see pe people now and i i think i have noticed really even over the last sort of 10 years or so maybe a, a, a change in attitude to disability that that looks at the person uh be, you know looks at the person before looking at the disability which of course is um, you know what, 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 what we all want to see. Um, now I understand that ability uh, that there's there's talk of a, a, a TV pilot for ability. Are you allowed to Are you allowed to tell us about that? I'd love to see ability on television. People on Twitter keep asking when it's going to happen, so I'd hate to disappoint the fans. I think it'd work even better with the added visual aspect to it. We've got some ideas of what a television adaptation might look like, so that's definitely something I'd like to work on more. I think one of the most unique things about ability is the use of Matt's inner voice. As well as hearing what Matt says, we can also hear what Matt is thinking. We thought it would be nice to Matt to have a proper Geordie voice as well as the voice of his iPad. And we realized that Matt would probably think in this voice as well. This inner voice really helps to add an extra dimension to the sitcom. Matt's thoughts are as important to the storyline as what he says out loud. It gives the listener an insight into Matt's life as a disabled person that we don't often get to hear. And I think that concept would work even better on television. It's a really good point. When people, I love the idea that people keep asking you when it's going to be on TV, as if it's up to you. You know, and I, I get that a bit with, you know, oh, is there going to be any more Bluestone 4 2? So I would love there to be. And so would my wife and my bank manager. Uh, but, you know, and do, do you not think if I had the power to do it, uh, I would. But then the other thing I think that's really good about what you've done so far with the show is the fact that with the radio, you've really had to focus on what the show is really about. You've got the story, you've got the characters. And so therefore moving to TV means that you kind of now all of those variables you've sort of sorted out and therefore an extra element and the visual element is then something that's on top. Something I've been thinking about recently is how 
again, it goes back to League of Gentlemen and trying to kind of do something either like your heroes or do something that no one else is doing just for the sake of it. And you end up creating something that's very gimmicky and that doesn't actually support the storytelling. But if you're able to create a comic juxtaposition between what the character is doing, how they're looking, how they're thinking, and then what they're what the voice is saying, it just feels like you've really got some brilliant layers there so that you're kind of making the most of the medium rather than just trying to, you know, think of something sparkly to do to to get attention. I think that's I think that's really I think that's a, it's a really good way round to do it as long as it does actually end up on TV. It's like, oh no, it's much better to start on radio. It's like, yeah, yeah radio's great, but you know, nobody nobody talks about it quite as much. It doesn't pay as well. Uh, but um, you're seeing my true stripes there, but I don't know if any, if you can empathize uh, with any of those things. Definitely. Maybe I just need to win another television show to get the attention first. Well, worth a go. Anyway, Dave, we're we're, we're nearly out of time. So, uh, have you got any got any final questions? Um, well, I just, just um, uh, the the uh, show starts. Um, this it starts in uh, on I think the eleventh of uh, February. When's that? That's uh, so. The first episode will have gone out, but I'm sure the the whole series will be on uh, sounds. I think the first two series are actually on sounds as well. If you want to catch up, and um, the book. Is that that's coming out soon as well? Yeah. Yes. Tell us the that book the uh, about that. It's out on the eleventh of March. It's just the paperback version of the same book. So basically, it's for the people too lazy to carry the hardback version. My book is called "I'm Only in It for the Parking," and it's basically me answering all the stupid questions that I've been asked over the years. The dumbest question I've been asked is probably, have I ever tried to talk just to see what would happen? <laughs> As if I had just been lazy all of my life, and therefore just couldn't be bothered to talk. Like I was only putting it on to take advantage of the disabled parking. But, in case you are wondering, no I haven't tried to talk before. Mainly because I know nothing would happen. Besides, I've built a career out of not being able to speak now. I don't think I should be encouraging my voice to magically reappear too much. The found voice guy just doesn't have the same ring to it. Yes. That's a very good point. Yeah, no, totally. It is a fantastic book. It is, um, yeah. The um, uh, in between each chapter, there are there there is a uh, a, a stupid question. Uh, um, I, I won't mm. I won't spoil it, but I'll just say that they they are all very funny. But um, the the whole book is great as well. I I really recommend it uh, and mm. the show. I'm looking forward to uh, series three. I've heard one episode, and. Um, yeah, so good good luck with that and uh, good luck with everything else. And hopefully, uh, before the end of this year, you will be out touring again. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Brilliant. Thanks uh, so much for joining us. We really do appreciate it. Thanks very much, Lee, and uh, all the best for the, uh, for, the, for the show and the book. Thanks very much. See you later. Cheerio. God bless. So that was really cool, Dave. Um, thanks very much for setting that up. Uh, and uh, hopefully listeners have got, you know, loads of uh, positives to come out of that. But we've just got a bit of time left over to just talk about News Jack, which is coming back 
Series 24, the internet tells me, comes back on the 25th of February. If you've never heard this show before, our show or Newsjack, uh, it's a topical comedy show that you can write for, you can submit sketches to via the internet. Um, back in the day, that's one of the ways I started out, was turning up to Weekending yeah. and writing sketches. Me too. And eventually getting some on. Dave, you did Weekending too? Oh, very much so, yeah. Yes, in fact, um, you know, there was a, a gang of us who all started together, who all went on to, you know, do loads of other uh, writing and, and um, uh, well, well, Pete Sinclair, who I wrote with, of course, on this show, Jeremy Hardy, uh, Stuart Silver, who became uh, Lee Evans's uh, writer. And we, oh, there we go again. We all started in the same week. So um, that was wow. Uh, That's quite a good intake, yeah. isn't it? And then Steve- so um, why don't you tell us a bit about uh, what what we need to do? We, we so just the first thing is uh, there are two whole episodes on writing for Newsjack that we recorded almost exactly three years ago, episode sixty nine and seventy. Yeah, uh, where we and although the presenter has changed uh, a couple of times probably since then, that was Angela Barnes. The overall principles are the same. But do you want to just give us some headlines, Dave? Yeah. I mean, first of all, so that first date is the, is the uh, 25th of February, did you say? Is the first date? Ep- yeah, 25th of February. Yeah. yeah. So basically, you you kind of start thinking about it um, on the, the Friday beforehand. And so um, that you, you start looking at... Uh, items news items and um if you want to write sketches um you you're going to need your weekends free really i think because that's um the, the the deadline for getting sketches in is monday at noon so um that that means you really want to be thinking about coming up with sketches um don't generally i would say don't go for the um the big stories partly because uh, they they change um over the course of the week and so a commissioned writer may end up writing something about covid on uh wednesday morning for the wednesday after wednesday evening recording um and if you if you write a sketch on covid on however brilliant on friday um that that aspect of it might be irrelevant by then so so that's the, the first main piece of advice is uh don't go for the obvious um unless you've got an absolutely fantastic uh idea um so that um be 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 Listen to the show is, I guess, the main thing as well. There are lots of episodes on sounds, or there's lots of clips of, of sketches and things. Yeah, the whole the whole of episode the whole of series twenty three is available uh, on on iPlayer. I can see it there now, yeah. so you can listen to twenty three um, and. Yeah, Newsjack Unplugged Series Five as well. Yeah. You know, there's sort of there's lots of stuff they, there to get the tone right. They tend to do they tend to do eight sketches in a show, and of which say two or three are likely to be very big stories, and two or three kind of medium ones, and then they have sort of two or three stories that are really uh, they're there because somebody found an interesting story and turned it into a sketch. Um, and it might not be, uh, you, you know, that that's kind of where you're, if, if you are writing sketches, that's probably a good place uh, to look. Not not stories that are already funny. Um, you know, as soon as you see a story about um, spinach being able to send email or whatever it was last week, um, you just know that you you can't come up with a funnier joke than uh, either the thousand people who did on Twitter or the story itself. So, so don't don't go for h- hilarious stories. Um, but but just look for 
things that other people might not have seen surveys are always quite a good place uh to find stuff you know you just you're just looking for uh to go off at a tangent really and 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 mm. and just come up with funny sketches that that that's yeah. my first uh trunk of advice so uh james what would you say i would say yeah listen to the show look at the website as well bbc uh, Radio 4 Extra News Jack, and there's a whole load of download the template, right? Your name and email address plus Twitter username if you have one, you know, and the whole load of sketch guidelines um, about stuff that they, the kind of stuff they're looking for, all those sorts of things. So, you know, listen to the show, follow, follow their advice. Also, there's probably a limit to the number of sketches you can actually send. Uh, I don't quite see it here in front of me. I think it's two, but, yeah. two sketches. So, so in a way, you, you need to, you know, using my sitcom rule about storylining, you probably need 10 ideas for a sketch and you probably need to turn six of those into some sort of sketch. And then you want to hone three of them and then send the best two of the three. Um, and, you know, it's so it's a very wasteful process. It takes a long time. If you do it in no time, you're probably not doing it right. Hmm. So you want to embrace the amount of time it takes. I think this series is only four yeah. episodes. Is that right? Dave? Yeah, yeah. Just four. So I would, but I would suggest that you persevere to the end. Try and do it for four weeks, because normally there'll be a fall off after three weeks. So then um, normally they find when they do six, episode five is usually the least written for. So you have the best chance of getting something on. But I think have the discipline of doing it, doing it each time. You will get better. It's good for you. Take your medicine, <laughs> uh, but persevere because your chances improve. And just bear in mind that if you don't get something on the show, if you're writing funny stuff, someone's reading it and they will notice. And if you consistently send them funny stuff, even if they're not using it for whatever reason, uh, they they will give you some encouragement and some feedback because the BBC are really nice like that. Uh, so you, you do, you know, play the game, help them help you by being consistent um, and following the guidelines and, you know, it's it's where it's where you start i think it's a really good place to start and i'm really glad that i started out writing that kind of stuff as well yeah um i'm just uh looking because uh dan uh swear who uh is uh, uh, one of our patreons and uh is also uh, a pretty pretty hot um topical comedy writer he's been doing a lot of um topical writing and he uh he writes a lot um for he's written a lot for newsjack and he's also been uh writing for uh breaking the news which is the scottish uh show that has um that, that that's on for about 20 weeks now you uh, they they do a lot of um topical stuff and if you do well writing for newsjack you can actually uh get get um You'll, you, you'll get asked to do um, stuff for um, for for um, that, that kind of show. I was just kind of looking. Dan sent me a whole uh, lovely list of, of, of do's and don'ts, but I'm, I'm, I can't quite find it at this point. But uh, but if you if you find us on Facebook, Dan, um, yeah, Dave will put it up on our Facebook page, won't you, Dave? Yeah, I will. But he's got some uh, some really great tips. But I mean, the main ones I think that he talks about a lot are. Ah, oh, yes, here we go. Uh, get uh, listen to the show. Um, write in the voice of the presenter. Listen to the presenter uh, and. Um, 
it says, um, you know, write lots and lots and lots of jokes and only send your best. You're only allowed to send three one-liners, I think, and then three good news, bad news, uh, which is just another way of doing a one-liner. So there's basically six, you can send six jokes. Um, Dan says, you know, you could work with writing partners. If you can find the writing partner uh, to do stuff with, that that's, that just helps. He yeah. says, you know, a lone writer banging out gags often can't see the funny for the clever. Uh, with a writing partner, yeah. you are A, editing each other's gags, B, honing your self-editing and script-editing skills, and C, perhaps most crucially, motivated as you don't want to let the other people down. So that's yeah. how you generate a lot of gags uh, that way. Yeah. So and bear in mind that yeah, so there's loads more to look at. If you is, are, there, are there more things to look at, Dave? Loads and loads actually. Yeah. So so, uh, so make full use of that. But I, the one other thing I would just say is make sure this sounds a bit obvious and silly, but just make sure you have a really good punchline to your sketch. Mm. Um, and I say that because quite often you have an idea that's really funny and it doesn't quite land at the end. And if a script editor reads the sketch they, and they're excited by it, if it doesn't have a punchline, then they're basically going to have to fix it for you. And they don't want to do that because they've probably got 300 of these. <laughs> and they'll just use a sketch that already does work and has a punchline. Yeah. Punchlines are the hardest thing. I would suggest it's maybe not even worth starting to write a sketch until you know how it ends. Um, but just obviously or work out a way of making the funniest joke at the end. I know, again, that sounds obvious. But, uh, you know, just give yourself the best chance of succeeding. And if you've got stuff that's left over, especially one-liners, you can tweet them, uh, you can put them on Facebook, you can amaze your friends and amuse your relatives, um, and they'll soon tell you whether it's funny or not. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, loads of advice there. But if you go back and listen to, I think, what was it, episodes... I just said earlier, yeah, 69, 69 70, 70, I think, yeah. Then uh, there's more there. And look at our Facebook page where there will be some extra information from our friend Dan yeah. uh, who knows stuff. And it's just we're also worth saying that if you do get in on this, as it were, if you establish your reputation as being funny on demand, you will start to get work because there aren't actually that many people who are trying to do this sort of thing? Is that fair, Dave? Yep, I think that's uh, I think that's true, and that's again, mm. again just uh, I'll I'll leave you with the last point of Dan's uh, or one of the mm. points of Dan's that 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 ad addresses that is um, you get used to writing topical jokes. You might just seem like a really weird thing to do, and it is. But you know, once if you, you once you start doing it, and you 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 see what works uh not necessarily what you write but if you listen to what works you'll start to get a feel for for what it is and 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 it's just like learning any other skill you know like learning to write sketches or learning to mm. write uh a, a drama say you know it's it's just it's learning to play the piano you just you're doing your scales aren't, yeah, it, aren't you yeah yeah but it's you know if you've got funny bones and if you write jokes then there's no reason why you shouldn't be writing topical jokes yeah so um, have a go, see how you get on. <clears throat> and also, I mean, Dan, we've just mentioned, he's also a member of our Patreon scheme. Join us on Patreon and then mm. you'll have a few people who are in your corner who are rooting for you as well. It's quite an encouraging place. We also have a, a Patreon-only Facebook group where people exchange links and thoughts and encouragements. Um, and did you see that on TV last night? Mm. And that, that sort of thing. And we, so do join us there. Look us up on Patreon, Sitcom Geeks. And there are, maybe there's a link in the show notes. Yeah. 
but that would be good. And we've got some exciting new plans for Patreon, which will be revealed in the course of uh, future episodes of Sitcom Geeks. So uh, yeah. listen in for that. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, thanks very much Thank for listening. You. And we'll speak to you next time. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs>